Thanks very much for joining us for episode 10 of InTech Freight and Logistics, the podcast. I'm Kevin Baxter, and I'm joined by my co-host for this edition, InTech President Shelley Austin. On this episode, we explore the UIIA, as in the Uniform Intermodal Interchange and Facilities Access Agreement. What is it for? Let's get started to find out. Drage drivers and carriers will be especially familiar with the UIIA as operating in this sector in North America in almost any scenario involves registration and compliance with its terms. To tell us more about what UIIA is, who administers it, why it exists, and how to meet its requirements, we welcome Debbie Sasko, Vice President of Information Services for the Intermodal Association of North America, or IANA. Debbie, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me today. So let's start off by going through, you've been with IANA for quite a while now. Tell us what you do with IANA. Yeah, I have been with IANA for 28 years. I'm the VP of Information Services, as you indicated, and my main responsibilities are overseeing the suite of information services that IANA offers to the intermodal industry. And so what are those services? We have several services, the UI being the oldest of those programs, and then we also have our intermodal driver database. We have our street interchange application, our terminal feed service, a global intermodal equipment registry, driver vehicle examination report service, our driver vehicle inspection service, and as well, our bad order equipment status service. So lots of acronyms. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got to have those letters floating around your head probably sometimes, right? Right. So let's get into UIIA in particular. I don't know how easy it is to sum up, but let's get into like the basics of what it is and who it really applies to. The UIA is actually a standard interchange contract. It's to set forth and establish terms and conditions for providers, which would be the ocean carriers, steamship lines rails and equipment leasing companies, as well as the trucking companies to interchange intermodal equipment. The agreement does promote intermodal productivity and efficiencies for those parties to have uniform processes to actually interchange equipment between themselves. So Debbie, real quick on that, you mentioned the ports, the terminals, and the railroad ramps. So is the UIIA required for the truckers for both pulling from a port or pulling or in-gating, as well as pulling or in-gating from a rail ramp? The ports actually aren't signatories to our agreement, but the steamship lines and the rails, most of the top major ones are. So yes, if a motor carrier is going in and out of a marine terminal or a rail facility, most likely they need to be a UIA participant. In looking things up, there's a little window of, uh, it's roughly what, 95% or so of uh, Mm -hmm. these interchanges are covered. So for people to get involved, is it a requirement then really for all of these types of interchanges? Most of the steamship lines and rails do require their carriers to be UIA participants because we handle that administration for them of their uh, paperwork and documentation. So they would require their trucker to be a UIA participant. And so how did it come about and how long has UIA been around? Well, the actual agreement is dated back to the 1970s. There was a group called the Equipment Interchange Association that actually had the agreement initially and they had established it to uh, establish terms of liability uh, between equipment providers and owners and users to interchange equipment. And then in 1985, the EIA group expanded to become the Intermodal Transportation Association. 
and that group then assumed the oversight of the agreement until 1991 when the three organizations merged. It was ITA, the Intermodal Transportation Association, IMA, the Intermodal Marketing Association, and also NRIA, the National Railroad Intermodal Association. They all three merged to form IANA. And then that's when IANA then assumed the administration of the agreement. Nice little history lesson on that too. Yeah. I wasn't expecting uh, that word. Again, story. acronyms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you got them all. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, that's got to be. A test at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I should be taking notes. So Debbie, to try and help the folks like myself, I guess the way I kind of visualize and for others that are not as much into the intermodal industry as, as we are, is this something similar to like uh, on a warehouse or something where somebody owns a container and if it's not the person that owns the container, they need to have some kind of agreement, an interchange agreement to be able to move that container. So that's with the steamship lines and the railroads, when they own those containers, that's where this agreement comes in for all these different truckers that go in. They're handling all these different types of equipment, so they need to have some kind of an agreement that gives them the ability to move that equipment just as if it were a warehouse or a shipper or something. Is that kind of a a premise of of kind of what the UII is? Yeah, somewhat. The truckers and the equipment providers, their standard terms and conditions under the UII agreement that sets forth when and with the liabilities and indemnification and types of notifications that these processes and procedures that these parties use in order to be able to move the equipment in and out of the facilities. So that's got to speed up the process for everybody. It does. It expedites the interchange process. That's one of the main goals of it. And before this came about in the the 70s, as you said, was it basically the Wild West? Everybody (laughs) (laughs) figure it out kind of thing? I mean, that that kind of is one of the main benefits of the UIA program, because before you had truckers that had to execute contracts with each individual equipment provider they did business with, and each provider may have various terms and conditions. They may have various insurance requirements. So that's one of the main benefits of the UA. It, it did away with that and takes that administrative burden off of both parties. Yeah, that definitely sounds like that made it a lot more efficient. So, you know, what about folks that are trucking companies that say, oh, uh, you know, I'm thinking about getting into doing drayage, but this UII thing, it's a scary beast and it takes forever and it's, you know, you got to have a lawyer and all this other stuff. So <laughs> explain the process a little bit. Well, new motor carriers, when they're coming on board, we have tools on our website that kind of give them direction as to how to set up the interchange agreement. We kind of lay out what the requirements are that they need to have in place in order to be a UIA participant. And then the whole process is automated online. So they do everything online. So, and, you know, of course we have customer service reps in-house that intercept phone calls daily from truckers to help them through the process, as well as to assist their insurance agents in regards to what type of insurance they need to provide us in order to set their interchange up for the trucker. Excellent. Yeah. So Debbie, are there different versions of the UIA? Does it matter about if you're if you're handling private equipment, railroad note equipment? Is it just the process through the UIA? Do the truckers need to work with each of the railroads specifically to do something as well? Or is it just one-stop shop? This is what you do. One-stop shop. You set it up under the UIIA. Now, some of the equipment providers may have different requirements, like documentation they may require the trucker to complete, but everything is done through our office as far as setting up the interchange agreement. And then we make sure that we let the trucker know what actual information they need to complete based on who they've checked off as to who they want to do business with. 
Great. So, I mean, it really is not that hairy beast uh, is what, what people may think it is because you're there guiding everybody and helping them get through each of the steps. So really it's, you're a, a good third-party service to make sure they get what they need done in a timely manner. We try to do the best we can to try to get them through the process as smoothly and as easily as possible. And hopefully we achieve that most of the time. What's usually the timeline? When a carrier decides that they're going to set up and, and to the time they can be uh, rocking and rolling? It depends on the trucker. And, and usually it comes down to the insurance, depending on what type of insurance they have, you know, what type of coverage they have in place. If they have to bind coverage, that normally takes a little longer. We've had companies do it within the same day come in, register, and get set up by that afternoon. But then we've had companies sometimes that can't complete it in 30 days. And most of the time, those are the trucking companies that either have problems with their authority, getting their authority set up through FMCSA, or it's the insurance portion of the uh, application that hangs them up. So what are some of the, the more overarching requirements The base agreement has certain insurance requirements. It it requires a million general liability insurance, which no portion of that can be self-insured. A million combined single limit auto liability that usually the auto liability is a lot of the sticking point sometimes because there are certain endorsements. There's a hold harmless endorsement that has to be made part of that policy and the policy has to cover hired autos. So in case the trucker was to hire another trucking company to do loads on their behalf. And then most of the steamship lines and rails do require some type of cargo and trailer interchange insurance. The trailer interchange insurance is covering the non-owned equipment while it's in that trucker's care, custody, and control while it's out under their interchange. And then lastly, the trucking companies have to list the equipment providers they're doing business with as additionally insured on their policies. Some require to be listed additionally insured just on their truck policy. Others require to be listed on uh, general liability and trailer interchange as well. And so the variations that that you mentioned kind of Mm -hmm. above and beyond that, are they still administered through you? If these other companies have additional requirements, they're they're still administered on, on your end then? Yes. Each equipment provider under the UIA, they have an addendum to the base agreement. So that addendum to the base agreement would contain their commercial terms and conditions of one being their insurance requirements. So it could be that they may require a certain limit of cargo or a certain limit of trailer interchange coverage. That would all be in their individual addendum that we manage under the UIIA for the equipment provider. So I'm curious, you mentioned that you have customer service representatives there. In addition to actually getting people signed up and going, are there some issues that come up from time to time? Any particular ones that, that seem to rise up more often than others? I would say probably insurance is usually the sticking point. Lots of times there's some insurance carriers that the trucker may have trouble getting some of the limitations that are required or they have to work directly with that agent a little more closely to make sure that they have the coverage that the agreement requires and that the equipment providers are asking for. Is there ever a dispute resolution kind of situation? I'm sure there there are always questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We do offer a binding arbitration process under the UIIA, and that's afforded to all signatories to the agreement. There's an exhibit in the agreement that outlines that process as far as what types of disputes can be submitted under it. And then there is a guideline in regards to how that has to play out before the trucking company can actually go to submit a claim for binding arbitration. But 
it does provide a alternative for both parties, the equipment providers and the trucking companies to try to resolve a dispute of matter versus having it go to court or something like that. And it seems to work well. Tell us a little bit about the oversight of UIIA. It's overseen by a, a committee, correct? Yes, we do have the Intermodal Interchange Executive Committee, and that's a 10-member group of industry representatives from motor, rail, ocean, and equipment leasing modes. They sit on that committee, and then there's also alternates that serve on that committee in case one of the primary members is unable to attend a meeting or, or a conference call. They would then step into their role. That group actually sees the types of activities they handle would be any type of, I talked about each provider having their own addendum to the agreement. So sometimes those providers might want to make changes to that addendum. So if they do, then that type of information would go through the IIC committee. It would go to the modal members of that group. So say, for example, an ocean carrier wants to modify their addendum, then the IIC would become involved, but it would just be the ocean and the motor carrier members that would review that addendum. And then the IIC also oversees changes to the base agreement itself. They're constantly reviewing the UIA to determine that it makes sure it's consistent with the current business practices in the industry. So if it needs changes, there's certain processes under our administrative procedures that the committee follows to uh, approve changes to the agreement. And then any type of change to the UIIA would always go out to all UIA participants for review and comment period. And then at the close of that comment period, we compile all those comments and give them back, send them back to the committee. And then they get to review that information before they make a final determination whether they're going to move forward with the change that was proposed. So any examples of some more recent changes that, that have occurred? We've had some some minor changes recently uh, to the agreement. I would say, I think we made some minor changes to one of the administrative processes under our administrative guidelines under the agreement. And that, again, went through that process. It went through the 30-day comment period. No comments were received. So then it became effective in the agreement. And then once the committee makes that determination that the approval is done and it's going to go into the UIA, all participants are notified of that decision. And then there's a certain effective date that's provided. There's a certain time frame that they're given in regards to notification of that change. Let's go by the numbers a little bit more. So I mentioned the 95% covered there. Mm-hmm. How many companies are participants in the agreement? We have about 14,700 active motor carriers, and we have 60 equipment providers. And as equipment providers are you know, made up of the equipment leasing companies, ocean carriers, and rails. And does this cover beyond just the U.S.? Does it go all of North America in terms of Canada and Mexico as well? We do have Canada, Canadian truckers in the UIIA, and some of the steamship lines and rails do use our uh, UIA agreement in Canada. There's nothing to preclude the use of it in Canada. We haven't moved into Mexico yet. That may be something in the future, but that's yet to be seen. So out of your day, you mentioned a lot of different areas of information services. How does UIIA kind of fit in terms of, you know, the amount of time you spend with it? I would say the UIA is our main program. So most of my time and and probably information services staff time is related to our UIA program because that's our largest group of stakeholders and, and customers is in that particular program. So we like to make sure that we focus whatever attention need 
is needed to make sure that we address any inquiries or customer issues that arise under that program. So Debbie, how long does, you know, the application work? For? I mean, is there, are there renewals? Do they have to re-up? Is there different types of, you know, timeframes? Well, one of the benefits for motor carriers under our agreement is that we try to be proactive when it comes to insurance renewals. So when a customer's motor carrier's insurance renewal is getting ready to come up for renewal, we let them know in advance. We give them a 30-day notice, letting them know that they have a policy coming up within the next 30 days. And then we also notify them seven days out from their insurance renewal, just to hope that that will allow them to get the renewal in place before it adversely impacts their status with the equipment providers they're doing business with under the UIA. So basically, the insurance has to be renewed every year. And the only other thing that needs to be renewed, we do require that they have a standard carrier alpha code that's issued through National Motor Freight Traffic Association. And uh, there is an annual renewal of that SCAT code for all the motor carriers that are assigned to SCAT. And then there's also an annual UIA fee that is billed upon their anniversary date each year. And so you actually have a separate website outside of the IANA website that has all of these resources and and also how to apply, correct? Yeah. Our UIA.org website, uh, which is off of the intermiddle.org, our our main website, that has all the links to application processes and also has links to our help guides, our tutorials that we have for navigating through the program. If anyone has questions related to the program, I mean, we just recently launched a brand new web portal redesign of the UIA application. So we're kind of revamping our tool tips right now. So some of our videos are, we have a couple of videos out there now about the new website, new web portal, but we're going to be putting more out there and also putting some more intuitive tooltips within the application so that when the user is actually on the page and they have a question on that specific page, they'll be able to click on a tooltip and find out hopefully the information they need. So we actually just talked to your colleague, Hal, about education opportunities and and sort of getting into a career in freight and intermodal. What got you into the industry? Well, I came, I originally came from working at a company, National Geographic Society. Uh, That's where I originally started my career. And then so took a break there for a while when my son was born. And then after that, saw the position offering at IANA and it sounded very interesting, something that I hadn't done before. So I came and luckily I got the position and (laughs) I've been here ever since. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoy, it's always a a new adventure every day, dealing with the different programs and the, and the customers. I think the greatest satisfaction is is when you actually can help the customers and make the customers feel like they're just not another person out of that 14,000. You're taking time to make sure that they get their needs are addressed. So I think that that's part of the satisfaction. And how is the sort of ebb and flow of the market? And I mean, you've been there a while now. We've seen some some differences in sort of how things are, are done in terms of mm-hmm. movement and everything. How's that sort of gone And as you're experiencing it from your perspective? We had, of course, a huge influx of new motor carriers last year with a lot of the owner operators becoming their own trucking companies. And now we're, we're kind of seeing that dwindle down a little bit this year uh, with the uh, the numbers in the motor carriers coming out. I think last year our top number was a little over 15,000 motor carriers. So we're mm. kind of seeing that kind of go down. 
now. I don't know how far it will go down, but we still continue to see motor carriers join as well, though. So it's kind of, even though we're losing some, we're still gaining some new ones coming on board. But we do see it kind of leveling off, of course, from last year. Last year was just nothing could describe the number of carriers we've seen last year coming into the UIIA, which was a good thing. Yeah, I can imagine with that process that, that you talked about, I mean, that had to be a pretty busy period for, for your team. Yes. Uh, luckily, uh, we have a very good team and uh, they were able to handle all the volume that came in. So uh, very lucky to have the team that we do in the UII. And actually, I don't want to leave the National Geographic Society piece uh, completely untouched. So so, <laughs> <laughs> so what, did, what did you do there and what, uh, what got was, you into uh, that? Just a, I was the uh, a supervisor in their data entry department. So kind of did sort of the same thing, but just a little different type of information collection there. Yeah, but, a little different. Um, yeah, but that's that's what I did there. Yeah, I mean, that's a great example of sort of the ability to change careers and get into intermodal, get into freight. You can come from any sort of different background, really. Absolutely. That's correct. <laughs> well, Debbie, is there anything else you wanted to add on uh, UIIA that we didn't hit on today? No, I think we, we've really covered everything. I certainly appreciate the opportunity for taking the time to have me go over the UIA information. I think it's always good to provide some educational information regarding especially the UIA program. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for InTech Freight and Logistics, the podcast. And thanks very much to Debbie Sasko for taking the time to speak with us. Check out the links in the description to learn more about everything we discussed. Subscribe or follow now to ensure you get our latest episodes as soon as they're available, and you can help us out by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. If you have questions, email us at podcast at intechlogistics.com and visit intechfreight-logistics.com for more about what we do. For Shelley Austin, I'm Kevin Baxter. We'll talk to you next time.